Hello and welcome. My name is Joe Frost and here with my co-host Peter Linus, this is Being Human. Welcome back to Being Human, the podcast that looks beyond the headlines in today's cultural stories and explores the profound questions that we're all asking about what it means to be human. And we have made it to episode nine already, which is hard to believe. Uh, And today we're looking at all things church, I believe. Yeah, uh, church community. I mean, it is a a weird season at the moment for community and especially for church at the moment. Yeah, I was speaking to Mark Sayers, who we've done some stuff with before just the other day because we were recording something for our work in Evangelical Alliance. And he pastors a church in Melbourne um, and they've had a really hard lockdown. Um, I think they went 150 days without being able to leave their houses, etc., etc. But they had their first gathering just Sunday past in 11 months which he said was kind of weird, wonderful, amazing. And even that was still a bit of a hybrid form, um, but it's been tough. I don't know what your experience of church has been like. Yeah, I think it's just been a bit like doing the okie-cokie dance, in, out, in, out. Um, but I think kids' church has been the hardest, trying to work out how to connect uh, children and families online, um, what the missional space is. We've moved to Zoom, which is great for the discipleships of kids within the church, but it means that new families or church, or kids accessing the church beyond our our parameters is much more challenging and um, and ultimately we haven't actually seen we haven't seen people face to face for almost a year which is mad it is yeah i mean it is a totally strange season online is is tough i, I think i would say for us anyway uh, we had a family service for one of those gaps in between when you were allowed to me it was great on a saturday afternoon we had like little pitches almost like little rugs out you could come in uh, you had a mat for each family and you could get quite a few families in for a kind of strange, uh, surreal, all-age service. Uh, and then on Sunday, we were able to do a bit of socially distance stuff. But that's all gone now again across most of the UK. You can't actually meet generally, but many aren't is the reality just because of the space that we're in. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose this season um, has done so many things, but it's it's ultimately it's forced the church to ask some pretty massive questions about itself. Why and how it meets, what's it's for how best to disciple people, care for communities, worship God. Huge questions. Yeah, massive questions. And uh, people might be surprised, shocked to hear that you and I sometimes approach these podcasts in different ways. Um, (laughs) So we're kind of looking at the themes of community and church. Um, How do you look from community in? It's probably your lens through this. I'm looking at church out. Uh, So uh, we're looking at stats around church. We're looking at how the world does community, where these places of overlap. So you want to kick off looking at community out there. I do. I think think what I found so fascinating about the pandemic uh, from a sort of bird's eye perspective is we have discovered, and I've said this before, we've discovered what's really important because everything got stripped away. And ultimately, nobody out there would deny just how essential relationship is, how we need communities to survive. We didn't know we had key workers and essential workers really until the pandemic. The people who make these communities, our lives function, we've realised what... Um, 
what the power of social norming and celebration and how we need each other to 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 survive even we saw that right at the beginning didn't we we saw that with the clap and and the lift that was um to nhs workers to people working in supermarkets to delivery drivers to people that were going out and braving the pandemic right at the beginning we carried them as a community and then we saw almost the opposite when a single person undermined the community and that kind of cohesion and everybody coming together and the, the ripple effect, ultimately, of Dominic Cummings going on a sightseeing trip uh, to test his eyesight to Barnard Castle. And, allegedly, and it, allegedly, just for legal implications. <laughs> It was controversial for sure. Real problem. It was hugely controversial. He doesn't deny that he took the trip. But but what that did to our community, to our sense of togetherness, just it evaporated. And so many people became despondent and and it forced uh, a whole new wave of conversations because the community had been undermined. And then we've seen what happens even at a very practical level where COVID surges because people have spread. They've formed new communities when they've gone uh, back home to see family or they've moved to university or, or whatever it is. We've seen what happens when people interact and the power of those relationships. They've been huge. Yeah, that, um, and we've also seen the kind of flip side, if you like, with the, the isolation and loneliness. So when we can't form community in this moment, then we've seen them probably, I think, heighten conflict on social media because you're not interacting with people live. So again, you've got these fracturing of community. Uh, we've seen in terms of some of the bigger events like George Floyd, communities who didn't understand each other, unable to engage often, like complete misunderstandings or, or talking past one another. The Me Too movement, we've talked about that in the podcast before again, about power and control and how that's exercised. But again, communities failing to understand and dialogue and engage in any way at all, and then abusing the power that they have. And then most recently, the riots in, in the capital in, in the US. Again, communities feeling disenfranchised and disempowered, but actually having significant power in what they were able to do. And again, the inability to have conversation around that, to have proper dialogue. And the, the whole election season in the US was much more heightened in a sense, because you, you couldn't really meet people. You can't have normal conversation. And so you go into a very detached online forum where it definitely feels like it amps up. Yeah. I, I, I'm Throughout it all, we have seen that communities can be full of people loving and caring and supporting each other, but all communities are affected by by sin, by wrongdoing, by people making mistakes or deliberate actions. And as we've mentioned before, um, in our society today, the definition of sin is whatever a community deems unforgivable. Therefore, what we have seen play out in this pandemic is a, a struggle to know how to reconcile. Um, there's been uh, challenges around tolerance, forgiveness. There's no room for redemption in our cultural story of community. Communities have been deplatforming, excluding and dehumanizing others throughout this pandemic. And we've even seen it recently with the breakneck rush to the vaccine access, um, where the richest countries, um, my favourite one at the moment was talking about the reason why the UK is doing so well in the vaccine is because we have an in inherent understanding of queuing. So we run to the front of the queue. Um, 
we know how we want that vaccine and we've got the money to invest in it and to pay for it, which means developing nations may be even four years away of getting the vaccines that they've ordered. Communities no longer supporting each other, but ultimately out for themselves. Yeah, and that, that kind of, I suppose, feeds into an idea of tribalism, the smaller communities, so they're tighter, but they're smaller Um uh, and therefore the inability to communicate with those from different communities. I mean, we are relational beings made in the image of relational God. We are wired for relationship and community, but without a, a story that we can coalesce around, without an agreed framework, the forming origin story, then we're unclear, unable to deal with the other, the enemy, the person we disagree with, the person whose framing story is coming from an entirely different place. We can't deal with failure. We can't deal with wrongdoing. And then ultimately those stories collapse or turn inward into smaller and smaller and smaller until you end up in a profoundly individual world again, because communities need the gospel. Amen. Which is why, this is why I would come at this conversation from an outside in, the church is the model of community, of humanity to the world. The church is community founded on the gospel. It is an expression of what it means to be human, rooted and founded in the kingdom of God. And the pandemic hasn't just been exposing about communities outside in the world. It has exposed some of the challenges facing the church at this time today, too. Well, totally, because the simple narrative would be to say, hey, look, communities failed out there. Why don't you come and join our wonderful community? Look how it's thriving at this moment. But that that's not, you can't say that simply in, in, in that way. We've got to examine ourselves and say, church has really struggled in this moment. We did a lot of survey work uh, at the Evangelical Alliance. We said, look, it is amazing. Back in June, we could see more people coming into church, more people wanting to find out about Jesus and making commitments to follow. Uh, we did further survey work there in the autumn. We, we could again see more people checking into church. This was great. But what, what we also saw was some disturbing trends. If you like, 35% of churches not offering kids work, either online and in person. Like a third, that's massive. That's a big deal when so many people come to faith young in life. And the US Barna found like a third of people aren't going to the church aren't checking in online to the church which they normally go to um, and I think it's another 12% of move church you're talking nearly half the people are not connecting online to the church in which they were previously associated so as this all shakes down you've got this question what's going to happen there are a variety of trends out there nominalism might be dying you know millennial generation are engaging kids are really struggling like what's going to happen to the church and we'll only know you know, in reality, when all this comes back and we actually begin to ask those questions, because right now it's really hard to connect and know who's still checking in. Absolutely. And and the stats are interesting and they're stark, but there's so much more behind those numbers. And I guess that's what we're trying to do in this episode. We want to look at what it is fundamentally around the story of the church, the story of community, and what does church look like in this grand reset moment that we all find ourselves in. We all want community, but secular alternatives will not, cannot cut it. So, even when the church is struggling, we have a story. We are part of a God story that we can build community on successfully, beautifully um, in step with the Spirit. So that's what we're hoping to look at today and I uh, hope you enjoy it. Off chance 
that you haven't been listening to the whole series, shame on you. Uh, We have been working our way through the biblical story and looking at how it interacts um, at the intersection with the cultural stories that we find ourselves in. Last week, we finally got to Jesus and looked at the Gospels. Uh, We were exploring deconstructionalism and Donald Trump as the Queen of Queer, I think is how you put it. Isn't that right, Peter? Uh, yes, uh, I actually just uh, was listening to something by John Mark Comer, moving on from that, about uh, Q Ideas, um, where he uh, was talking about deconstruction, in fact. Um, and it's a healthy thing for people to critique the culture of the church based on the Bible. It's actually what Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount. We were looking at that idea last week. He critiqued them for adding this line, you know, hit your enemies, uh, a form of nationalism that wasn't in the text. And so Jesus is deconstructing church norms of his day, but he's using the Bible to do it. Uh, And that's the kind of deconstruction that we see in the Old Testament prophets. We see with people like uh, Luther and Zwingli and the reformers, uh, where the world has corrupted the church and people are taking the Bible then to critique the church. That's good stuff. And we've seen it in in recent times, and some of it is really healthy. 10, 15 years ago, there was the missional movement where great thinkers began to deconstruct our forms and the architecture of our church services, looking at the attractional church model that was um, very Sunday-centric, all about the lights and the speakers and a really cool band and and quite uh, a consumer approach to church. And, and challenging people to get back to the roots of church and community. But more recently, something has shifted even further and people went from deconstructing church structures to deconstructing church orthodoxy. Yeah, and that's a really significant shift. And we're seeing it in, in some parts uh, right now where people are calling uh, to take the culture of the world and critique the Bible. And that's the fundamental shift rather than taking the Bible to critique the church or the world, we're saying, no, take the world and critique the Bible. Yes. And and we see that because there's this call sometimes for the church to keep up with society. For progressive Christians, as society progressives, the church can be seen as regressive. It needs to change and adapt to keep up. But here again in that same interview, Mark um, John Mark issues this a warning saying progressive Christianity is for many people a stopover on the way to post-Christianity because it can't hold any form of robust discipleship. It has no ethical stance against the world. Yeah, and we'll drop a link to this talk. It's really powerful on some of those points because he's saying that people are coming to the Bible with prior moral assumptions really rooted in Genesis 3, you've redefined what good and evil look like on their own terms uh, and more likely really on cultural terms on on a load of issues like human sexuality. And then scripture and the tradition don't seem to line up with those. And so the consequence is that scripture and the tradition are deconstructed rather than our prior assumptions. A friend of mine sent me a a, a liturgist podcast recently and uh, I haven't listened in, in ages, um, but what interested me was a reflection from Michael Gunger, who's, who's one of the kind of key leaders in that. And he was really saying that they've been on a 10-year journey of deconstruction um, and that that on its own wasn't the answer. He was really acknowledging that the critiquing, the tearing down was the easy bit, but they had, in fact, in some ways formed their own community and that community was wanting them to build, to construct something. Um, and they had, uh, so, so they needed something more. And I'm not going to agree with all that they're trying to build in its place. But what was interesting was that awareness, deconstruction on its own doesn't work. 
which really brings us back to what we're looking at here. How do you construct? What does it look like to build a countercultural forming community? Exactly. And we're, we're hearing it in all sorts of pockets at the moment. Um, churches leading sermon series, podcasts, articles, all around this idea of rebuild. Uh, so the church is in a phase of rebuilding, but the pandemic has asked us, what is it that we are seeking to build in this time? What even is church? Why do we gather? How do we function in it? Can we even function without it? And there is this real risk that if we adopt a cultural narrative where church is the social club, where we come to consume stuff, where we feel good, where we make friends and hang out, and we do all the things that we've missed. We've missed meeting with people and connecting people, uh, having great kids work and kids coming out, feeling all buzzy with a wonderful pasta picture. We go to church sometimes simply just to feel good about ourselves. I thought you said a pastor picture, but now I realize you said pasta picture. I was kind of worrying what kind of church you went to. You made pictures of your pastor. But that's right. If those are the things that we miss then we are indeed in trouble and um, because we're not really any different than to atheist church. Oh, I, I love I, I love this story of the atheist church. I think it's fascinating. There were loads of stories about it a few years ago, um, set up by this guy who loved church community but didn't want to follow Jesus, so tried to nick all the good bits. You go along, you often find yourself in an old church building because they're the good ones to meet in because they can hold enough people. You sing your classic 80s rock anthems or a bit of I don't know, Spice Girls, because instead of the hymns, um, you listen to the equivalent of a sermon, which is a mix between stand-up comedy and self-help pep talk. And people go and they meet up and they connect. And it's not church, but it is a congregation of unreligious people. Yeah, fascinating. fascinating quote, isn't it, that, that came from one of the articles about it. And so the pandemic has forced us to ask these pretty fundamental questions about church. I mean, just to be crystal clear, we work for the Evangelical Alliance. Uh, we do love the church. We are here to support our members, which are churches, and we we really long to see the church thrive. Um, and we have been ringing church leaders again over the past few weeks, and it's tough for many leaders. And if you haven't recently, maybe you need to send them a text message just to encourage them. They're struggling in this season too. Who's pastoring the pastors? Very little of their training prepared them for this moment um, and some love the pastoral care and the hospital visits and the weddings and the funerals and all that they get to do. And that's very different and difficult in this moment. And others are fantastic at preaching and teaching. Uh, and that's an extremely different experience in this moment. I know from my own experience of trying to do preach and speak online and, and into computers. And they're, they're at the coalface of this pandemic uh, and they're struggling and they're making it up as they go along. So if you can encourage them in any way at all, please do do that. Absolutely. And and yet, even in this moment of making it up as we go along, of um, being unsure about how to navigate this season, we are in a reset moment. And if our plan is to simply to go back to what has been before, we are missing what God is doing in his church right now. This is a moment for church leaders, for church communities, for teams to gather, to ask those fundamental questions, to see what God is up to and to move forward um, into this new season and not just hunger for what has been in the past. 
Absolutely. There is nothing to go back to. There's no going back to what was before. That does not exist. It will not exist again. We're going into a new territory. So even if you don't know what you're doing, just so encourage you either as a leader or people getting around leaders, help them start to think through what the space looks like and listen to God and look forward in a new and fresh way. as a community is described in lots of different ways in the Bible. It's the body of Christ. It's the bride of Christ. It's the family or the household of God. It's described as the temple of God. It's described as his flock. And it has massive overlaps with the concept of the kingdom of God. Totally. And so we're looking like first here at gathering. The, The gathering together with others is a really important part of church. And we've seen some are taking court cases against the government at the minute to assert that right to gather Others have agreed not to meet, uh, though in general across the UK, the UK hasn't actually legally stopped churches from meeting. And I know from talking to leaders, these have been some of the toughest decisions they've had to take to stop their church gathering, even though they're legally allowed to do so. Uh, And we're not particularly interested in the legal rights or wrongs of this moment, but ultimately the questions about what church will look like as it's moving forward, what will it put into its foundations and as its values? Uh, James K. Smith talks about this idea of the cultural liturgies of a community. All all churches have liturgies, practices, habits, modes of working. They have a way of doing things. They have a culture. They have outward expressions of their inner values. And these liturgies shape communities and they form communities in certain ways. Yeah, I quite enjoy sometimes when I'm leading, pointing out the how the church architecture even shapes what's going on uh, in the Presbyterian church, uh, particularly in Northern Ireland. The pulpit is raised, it's in the centre. Preaching is the most important thing. For the Anglicans, the communion table is in the centre. For the Baptists, they cover all the bases. The pulpit's in the centre on top of a baptism tank, which is down below, and then a communion table just sitting in front. And then in the vineyard church, the drums are in the centre. And I say that as somebody who goes to Vineyard and, and, and we joke, but churches have ways and have always used architecture in this way, be it stained glass windows, be it the steeples, you know, that were there to shape and to form people, to get them to look up above everything else. We've always used these, these physical structures to shape uh, the way we do church. Because we recognise the power of formation within community. Um, And I I think there are so many aspects of our liturgy as church communities that require looking at to see what do we want to form in us? What do we want to be part of our discipleship? I mean, even at worship, worship has been such a struggle in this season. Sung worship has been an incredible challenge online. It's been practically illegal in person and people have really missed it. Um, there's been a move away from the performance on the stage and actually saying, no, I want to participate in corporate worship at this moment. And there's been something really interesting that's happened in certain spaces where worship hasn't just been about the song, but it has been about the declaration of truths, about coming together as a community and saying these things we hold to be true. It's a confessing moment. It's a speaking out in agreement uh, loudly and and together. Sung worship or liturgical responses, we're discovering afresh the power of the corporate witness of worship, moving away potentially from the, the me 
it's all about me worship songs um, and my relationship with God and much more to what we as a community recognize and want to say is important. Yeah, and I mean, that community confession, you were using a slightly different way, I guess, how we confess the truths, but actually the notion of confession in the old school sense, we we're reading an article about that, really interesting again about um, should we see more of that in churches? Might we see more of it in the future? Because uh, we talked about atheist church earlier. One of the things you're not going to see there is confession because what happens when you transgress or fail your community is our culture doesn't actually have a, a way of dealing with that. It is very little space for confession, for forgiveness, for reconciliation. And so one of the things the church has historically done is you come and confess and the forgiveness is declared over you. Uh, and so that article was sort of critiquing a little bit, I think, the seeker-sensitive churches who avoid something like confession, because that's weird. Seekers wouldn't know what to do with it. But actually, it is something our culture lacks, that space to confess and then to be granted the absolution, the forgiveness, the reconciliation with God and others to move out and on from. Confession is so powerful. It is that communal moment. And, and once again, the communal aspects of church, of declaration, of confession, and even of communion. Um, back to James K. Smith talking about Houdini's story around this, this, the phrase hocus pocus, which we've all done, abracadabra and hocus pocus. We've talked about it in our, in our childhood, but according to Houdini, that the phrase came from uh, congregations attending the Eucharist and hearing uh, the phrase, um, hoc est corpus, this is my body, chanted during um, the uh, consecration of the bread and the wine and witnessing uh, somebody from outside the church, which, witness, witnessing, cannot speak, witnessing the transformation of the bread and the wine into the body and the blood of Christ. And they came out and heard hocus pocus and magicians nicked it. They took that yeah. word because they saw the power of transformation happening at communion and they wanted it for themselves. Yeah, I love it because they, they get what we sometimes don't. Communion sometimes such a symbol and they saw the transformational nature of it. And so I think we're going to be examining lots of different things like that. Like what, what's preaching going to look like? I love preaching, um, but but there's there's no proof text in the Bible that says it needs to be 40 minutes long and have three different points and be an expository sermon. Uh, sermons have tended to be shorter when we've moved online. Uh, I wonder, will that persist? What's that going to look like? People like Tim Keller have actually always created space for Q&A afterwards. In the heart of New York, he had his church where he would preach at Redeemer, and then afterwards would be the space to come and, and dig deeper. Uh, and it's a real challenge because people can access great preaching from anywhere in the world. That was true before the pandemic, but I guess it's heightened now. We've realized that you can download the best podcasts and preachers content wise. It's often going to be better than what you can get locally in your own church. But it, what is the point then of the sermon? Is it about the local context and engaging there? Is it about hearing and responding as a community rather than as an individual? So these are some great questions for churches to be wrestling with, aren't they? We think so. I think this is what this moment's going to be about. You know, people are going to address them differently. Uh, Keller's City to City Network, somebody was saying to me, did uh, online church, as most people did, but it was kind of like at a basic level, they purposely constructed it so it would be an okay experience, but not one you would get hooked on and really enjoy and, and thrive from. They said it's just about enough, but you're always going to go on to go back to the real live embodied experience. But then I was hearing about another church leader in Vancouver, and they were heading off for three days to record their next set of six services. And they were busy trying to do it at broadcast studio level. 
because they were talking to the church and they were all watching Netflix and these great shows. And so their level of expectation going up. And they said, this is what we want to do. We want to take our bar of excellence up to the same level. And so two different ways of approaching the problem. And I think that's what I love about these stories, that it's the intentionality of, of why people are coming to the conclusions, to the liturgies that they are. They've thought about what's going on. They've thought about what's important and they've thought about how they're going to respond. I mean, a friend of mine is um, moving their church structure and their gathering community spaces from the hour, two hours on a Sunday morning to completely reshape it so that their church is going to have daily connection points for teaching discipleship, fellowship worship they're having a radical rethink in what they're going to do and what we're doing is we're not trying to present all the answers we're just trying to say the kind of questions people are asking and different ways that people are beginning to think so again uh, chatting to mark sayers recently australia is possibly going to be a little bit ahead because they're coming out of lockdown and able to gather uh, now more regularly but he was just saying look hybrid's absolutely the future they would have a service that would be online it would be in person in their church for a smallish number of people, but also then groups of people would come together in households. They're allowed up to 30 in a household. So you gather in homes and do the service with a broadcast element of teaching somewhere in the middle. And church could become much more this kind of mixed economy where one church is serving people in multiple different ways. And that decentralizing is is almost certainly going to be a theme. There's going to be less singular control in, in the speaker out front, and it's going to release people though in a really healthy way to serve others into their God-given gifts the releasing of the priesthood of all believers. So we can't only look at the gathered church, but also at the scattered church um, and ultimately why church is so important. The gospel tells us the good news about Jesus. And then through the story of Acts and the letters, we hear about the life of the early church. Now, many will always make the analogy between our time and the early church, which is far from a perfect symbiosis, but there are many parallels. It does, but at the same time, our cultural influence, the cultural influence of Christianity on somewhere like the UK has been incredibly unusual. And it is changing and we have to get used to being in a different place. The early church thrived during a pandemic and without the blessing actually of the secular powers. It understood the church is the new humanity. It's the first fruits. It is the foretaste of what is to come. And its story began from the ascension of Jesus to the Father, then the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we read about in Acts 2. And the Spirit's work is to empower a community to share in the salvation of the kingdom. And that's the continuation of Jesus' ministry to gather the lost, to reestablish uh, and, and to renew, if you like, Israel and, and enlarge the vision for that. And so the story then moves from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, to Rome and on to the ends of the earth. And so the letters take this on further. And in Ephesians 2, we see Paul calling Christians a new kind of people, forming, as we've said, this new community, this new humanity in Christ. The church is absolutely critical to the biblical vision of what it means to be human. It is an expression of being fully human, of being made in the image of God. It is the expression of what people are supposed to be. Yeah, one of the best passages on this comes from Ephesians 1 in the letters Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. 
I love how Eugene Peterson catches it in, in the message. All this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven. In charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments. No name and no power exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all. He has the final word on everything. At the center of all of this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts by which he fills everything with his presence. And this doesn't simply have to be the gathered church, the moments where we come together online or in person. It isn't talking about our buildings being the centre of everything. No, it is talking about us as the church out in the world. Yeah, the church has left the building is a phrase that's so often used. And if this season has taught us anything is that we can't gather in our buildings. Church buildings have often been shut, but the church isn't shut. And so how does that work? Well, it means turning everything inside out, if you like, releasing everybody back into the community. Um, and one of the words I love in the Old Testament is the word avodah. It means to work and to worship. It's used more than 800 times. And in the Old Testament text for the Hebrew mind, work and worship were seen as one and the same because they come from this root word eved, to serve or to worship. So you worship God and you worship or you serve your neighbor. And so that is how our work is supposed to become an act of worship. And so that's what takes us back out. We are all priests and priestesses. We are released out into the community. And at the end of, of, of some of Paul's books, like the letter to the Roman church, um, Paul's saying, hey, look, here's a, a list of greetings. Sorry, a letter he sent from Rome, not to the Roman church. But anyway, the list of greetings at the end, I think it's Romans 16, is uh, all sorts of people, including Erastus, the city treasurer, like the chief financial officer of the city. Paul's a tent maker. Jesus is a carpenter. Work matter to these guys and so they send greetings to those who are working most of the people we read about in the bible are doing everyday jobs very few of them are ministers or rabbis in any traditional sense now the fact is that most of the people in our communities our friends our neighbors our colleagues they're not going to come with us into church every week at least not initially but each of us in our churches are going to interact with just about every aspect of our town and city, whether it's at the school gate, at the local supermarket, in our local GP, wherever it is, we will find opportunities to be salt and light out in the community. The priesthood of all believers isn't just a nice phrase that we read in 1 Peter. We are being commissioned to minister to the world around us, a world that is low lonely and hurting and in pain, a world that needs to know that there is a God who loves them. And for us to mediate that relationship, bring it about. There's a lot of need out there. And the church, we each, we all have a huge role to play. And that's why we're so excited about what this releases in terms of the scattered church in this moment. We're going to have to do it differently. We've sort of got that a little bit with some aspects of ministry, like our food banks and stuff. We realize that's serving the community. But instead now of employing the kids pastor to look after our kids, we want to employ people to get out into the schools and into the neighborhoods to run the youth clubs. Instead of having a healing service, for example, in our church, we want to get out on the streets and see healing in the streets. We want to have people praying and sharing the good news wherever they are, rather than feeling you have to invite somebody into, into a building to do that. This is a missional moment. I was really struck again by something Mark said when we were doing this interview. I think he was quoting James Hunter. The space between idols is a gospel moment. These times of significant cultural transition 
are actually a really great opportunity for the gospel. And we are in one of those major shifts kind of culturally. And actually, there's a great interest and awareness being built up. And we're in that change moment, that disruption moment. And it is a fantastic missional moment from the church. But it's not about inviting people into our services. If there's one thing we've learned from going online is that there's never been a better time to sneak in the back door of church. People can check it out without coming into the building. We can't gather, so we're going to scatter and head outwards. This is the moment for the scattered church to come to the fore. The church in all its brokenness, pain and mess is the hope for the future. In a nice little nod to a previous episode, John Tyson puts it like this. Love it or hate it, Jesus is covenantly committed to the church. Absolutely, the church is the hope of the future because it is the body of Christ. The church is messy and it's got stuff wrong and it will let us down. And um, It can be tempting to try and find another way. But the church is at the center because Christ is the head of the body. Christ rules the church. Some will be tempted in the next while to put their hope in the vaccine. And of course, we hope the vaccine will save lives and get us out of this lockdown. And if it works, there'll be a temptation to resume normal service. It took a while for science and technology to catch up and the politics behind that too. But eventually, um, they've, they've kind of got their act together. And people go, oh, it's fine. We can just go back to kind of trusting and believing in those things. There might be a similar temptation to better hope in Biden and Harris. Uh, I hear it already. That's similar language to Trump in 2016. People saying, oh, it's all right. Our political leaders have got this. The future's in their hands. It'll all be fine. Um, but that's not going to be the answer. I love the idea that we read in uh, John 17, our former boss's favorite chapter, where it talks about the idea that the world will know the gospel because of our love for each other. In a world where community is either about agreeing with what I think and finding people who are like me or or defined by its ability to berate um, and belittle the other, the church is known for its love. So in a good American phrase of let's love on each other, let's be brave, let's be kind as together we follow Christ into the world. Absolutely. Look, the church isn't perfect if for no other reason than because we're in it. We've heard that kind of line before, but it's so true. And the church is our family, our extended family in this moment. Uh, and, and we have to remember that we are the church. It's really easy as well to say, OK, you leaders navigate us through this moment. You you think about what's coming ahead. You sort this out. But the priesthood of all believers, the scattered church, this is a reminder that we're all the church. We're all going to have to navigate this moment. Um, Francis Chan wrote a book uh, a year or two ago, Letters to the Church or something, I think it's called. And he, he came from a mega church background and had broken everything down now into much smaller cell groups. And he's moved to back to Hong Kong and he's, he's in the church there. And in a, in a place where the church can't gather in the same way, actually, that model is going to be really interesting going forward. And we're not here to offer you the definitive model. But what we are here to say is we love the church, problems and all. And in going forward, we're going to have to reimagine what church looks like. We're going to have to rethink what it is about. And we're all going to have to do that together. There's not a simple one size fits all solution, but we are going to have to pray into this. We're going to have to listen to God and we are going to find new ways of doing church. And we are excited ultimately that this can in fact be an incredible missional moment. 
So that's a wrap. I hope you've enjoyed this time's episode. Uh, please do like, share, follow, subscribe to, to this platform on your platform, podcast platform of choice even. Um, check us out on beinghumanproject.co.uk and until next time, take care and God bless. Bye.